The title of the sermon today is Jesus, the Lord of the Lonely Inside. And it's based on a story which comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. And when he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which we ought to work. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? And when he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. Years ago, I read a book by David Siemens called Healing for Damaged Emotions, in which he talks about this story, about this woman and what Jesus was able to do for her. Some translations say that this woman had a spirit of infirmity. A spirit of infirmity. She was bent over for 18 years. Now this gospel was written by Luke, and as you recall, Luke was not one of the original 12 apostles. He, was, he joined the group later on, and he was a Gentile who converted to be a follower of Jesus. And being a doctor, whenever he would write, well, uh, the other gospels, they'll say, well, Jesus healed a crippled person. But Luke is very specific. He says, Jesus healed a man who had a problem with his ankle bones. So in this particular situation, he is very clear also that this is not a case of demonic possession. That is indicated by the term unclean spirit. And whenever Jesus encountered someone who was possessed by demons, he didn't speak to the person. He spoke directly to the demons. But here he speaks to this woman um, because she has something different. She has a combination, psychological, physical, and spiritual illness. Luke is pretty advanced. He's practicing holistic medicine. This woman is showing physical symptoms that are the result of emotional problems. The woman has a crippled body because she has a crippled spirit, because of what's going on inside of her. Luke realizes that what's going on inside of us is extremely important. He says that she has stenotheia, a spirit of infirmity. Uh, the difference between the combination of a physical problem and a spiritual or emotional weakness. We could maybe use the term psychosomatic. We all know how it's possible for human beings to give themselves physical illnesses by the things that they feel and think. 
I remember uh, reading a story by Molly Ivins about uh, two young boys, Johnny and Boots, that were six and seven years old. They grew up in Texas where they loved to play Texas Rangers in the backyard. They had their little toy guns and they would run around and play. And one day the mother said, uh, boys, why don't you go out to the hen house and roust out that corn snake that's been living there? It's harmless, you know. So the boys decided they would do it. They, they went back to the corn house. They took their little guns with them. They're looking all around the hen house everywhere. They're looking, looking, looking. Finally, the only place to look is the top shelf, and they pull themselves up to the top shelf there, and sure enough, they're nose to nose with the corn snake. They scream and fall down, knock into each other, hit the door, open the door, run out in the yard, terrified. And the mother, who's watching all this from the por porch, says, boys, what's wrong with you? You know a corn snake can't hurt you. And Johnny says, well, yes, ma'am, but there's some things that'll scare you so bad you hurt yourself. Have you ever scared yourself so bad that you hurt you? It's very possible for human beings to do that. I want you to put yourself in this woman's place. She's unable to straighten up. She's been bent over for 18 years. She's limited in the work that she can do. What, what can she do? Sweep the floor, dust, mop? She's unable to stand up and to reach her full potential. Jesus' desire for all of us is total wholeness. We're created to stand tall. In fact, the word human, anthropos, means upward looking. That's the difference between animals and human beings, we, we walk on two feet and we look upward, but she was only able to look down. Try a little experiment for a minute, wherever you are. Just look down at the floor right in front of you, and just imagine that that's all you're ever able to see. Instead of the sky, you only see dirt. Instead of birds, you see bugs. Instead of faces, you see dirty feet. Okay, that's enough of experiment. You know, it makes it difficult to have interpersonal relationships when you can't look a person in the eye, when you don't see smiling faces. It no doubt had crippled her ability to have a meaningful human relationship with another person. But she's desperate. So she goes to the synagogue and there's a guest rabbi there, this person, Jesus of Nazareth. He's speaking, and there's something different about him. He speaks with such a sense of authority. And Jesus notices her. You know, most of the, the healing stories in the New Testament, it's the person that goes and presents themselves to Jesus. But in this situation, Jesus specifically picks her out of the crowd and asks her to come toward him. And then he touches her and something happens. All of a sudden, the spirit of infirmity is loosened and unchained. And for the first time in 18 years, she is able to stand up straight. He calls her a daughter of Abraham, a beautiful term. 
Why is this story important? It's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. There's plenty of people out there today, right now, in our world, who have a spirit of infirmity. We don't use that term. We call it different things. Depression, excessive anxiety, inferiority complex, guilt. There are a lot of people who suffer from those spirits. Many people suffer from the 18-inch problem. That's the average distance between a head and a heart. There are many people who intellectually know that God loves them and that they've been loved and forgiven, but they don't really feel it in their heart. It's a head thing, not something that they know internally. And so today, I believe that God is offering to heal us in the way that Jesus healed this woman. And I'm going to specifically mention three different things that I believe that God can heal us from. The first one are what I would call childhood mottos. We grow up with a lot of stuff, and some of it, frankly, is not very helpful. And we all hear things as we're growing up that are repeated to us that can damage the way that we look at ourselves in the world. I knew a man who said that his family motto was measure up. If you do this, we'll love you. If you're like this, you're acceptable. If you perform correctly, you're okay. One man said, God? Well, that's the voice inside of me that says, not good enough. Not good enough. Our childhood mottos mar us and make us Christian POWs, performance-oriented workers. Can you think of a childhood motto that may have damaged your life? How about this one? Parents are good at these. If you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Well, that's a good one. These mottos can work their way into our psyche and become spirits of infirmity. I knew a woman whose uh, father had left the family when she was young, and she was raised by her single mom, who was all, had remained very bitter about the situation. And the motto that she was raised with was, you can never trust a man. You can never trust a man. Can you imagine when that woman got to the age to get married on her own? how that motto hurt her in her ability to have a meaningful relationship with a husband. Or how about this one? Sex is a dirty, nasty thing. Be sure to save it for the one you marry. That's good. Yeah. I knew a, a guy, he was a friend of mine, and his dad was this amazing handyman. He could fix anything. And unfortunately, the son did not get that handyman gene. He was not good. But he would work together with his dad on projects. And his dad, in frustration, would always say, Son, if there's a wrong way to do it, you'll find it. If there's a wrong way to do it, you'll find it. Are some of those mottos coming back to you now? I'll tell you the one that goes through my mind. It goes back to third or fourth grade at the Okatia Elementary School in Phoenix, Arizona. I was the fat kid, and our major game that we played at recess was kickball. 
And when you play kickball, you really don't want fat kids. You want small, skinny, fast types on your team. So every recess, they would line the class up against the fence. The teacher would pick two people to be the captains. And the captains would one by one name people and pick them to be on their team. And then when you were picked, you would go and stand behind your captain and kind of like coach him, give him advice as to who to choose in the next round. And the motto that I always heard was, don't pick McNabb. Don't pick McNabb. I heard that motto for many, many years. Sometimes I still do. Jesus wants to heal us of those things that we have grown up with that have impaired us in life. This poor woman, for 18 years, having that spirit of, inf of infirmity that Jesus could heal. Brendan Manning tells a story about going to visit a nun one time, and in her office, she had a sign on her desk that says, Today I will not should on myself. I will not should on myself. Let me suggest a couple of mottos from the Bible that may be able to replace some of the other ones. Here's one. God loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. Or how about this one? God loves you as if, as if you were the only person he had to love. God wants to heal us from those childhood models. The other thing that God would like to heal us from is from our moral mistakes. You know, a lot of the pain in our life comes from the outside, from things that happen to us that is not our responsibility. For example, the pandemic that we're going through right now. It's not our fault that this happened. Nobody's fault. But on the other hand, there are things in our life which cause us pain which are our fault. They are the result of the moral mistakes that we have made, the bad choices that we have made, our failures in the past. And so God wants to forgive us of those things as well. David Belgium, a psychiatrist, said, 60% of the patients I see in psychiatric hospitals are suffering from unresolved guilt. These patients are punishing themselves through their illness. Their physical symptoms and their emotional breakdowns may be their involuntary confessions of guilt. As the famous psychiatrist Carl Menninger said, half of my patients in the psychiatric hospital could go home in a week if they really knew that they were forgiven. Are you carrying some ancient load? I know you believe in grace. You've heard sermons about it. You believe it intellectually, but do you feel it? Do you live by it? And then thirdly, I believe that God wants to heal us from memories, from painful memories. You know, our brain is like a computer, and everything that we've experienced from our birth is stored in our brains. We're not always able to recall all of it, but it's there. And when it's too painful, we tend to push it down into the depths of our psyches. We call it repression. It's like trying to hold a balloon underwater. It's not too hard when you just have one balloon, but when you have three, four, 
five balloons, it's hard to keep them all underwater. They tend to escape. I know there are people that are listening to this who were sexually and emotionally abused as children, and you're still suffering from that memory. Some of you grew up in an alcoholic home, and you can still hear the shouting and the breaking dishes. Some of you were abandoned by one of your parents, and the pain of that memory still haunts you. David Siemens, in his book, tells the story of a woman named Mary. She was the wife of a missionary, a strong Christian woman, but in her 40s, she began to be severely depressed. She really could not function. She tried to read the Bible more, attended church, prayed all the time, but nothing helped. So she went to see David Siemens for pastoral counseling. And through that process of counseling, he discovered that her father was a viciously brutal alcoholic who beat the children and, and sexually violated Mary from the time she was 13 on through her teenage years. But to cap the whole story, one day Mary, when she was a senior in high school, went to the back porch and found her father on the floor, his brains blown out with a shotgun. All of this had been buried deep down inside of her. She has not even shared some of it with her husband. She's been trying for years to cover it up with a spirituality and prayer and those kind of things, a big Christian smile and a praise the Lord. But it's like trying to digest broken glass. She needed the healing touch of Jesus. So she told this story to Siemens. One day, when she was praying for healing, it was like Jesus was right in the room with her. He said to her, Mary, I'm going to heal you, but first I want you to walk with me through those painful memories. She said, my mind became like one vast art gallery, pictures on the walls, and the pictures were all the sordid scenes, the painful memories of her past, the beatings, the sexual violation, the suicide. She said, I re-experienced the original emotions. I wept. Jesus said, it's all right, Mary. I'll, you forgive and I'll pour my healing love in. And she said, each time they did that, they looked at the picture, felt the pain, forgave the offenders, and experienced Jesus' healing touch. It was like Jesus reached up and took the picture down. I don't know where he put it, but it was gone. We walked through that art gallery from my past until Jesus had cleaned up and removed every picture. She says, my mind is now clean. The pain is now gone. I can remember the events, but they're not laden with painful emotion like they once were. There are some today that still need to be healed from painful memories, from moral mistakes, from childhood mottos. And that is what Christ offers to us through his love and his compassion. The ability to, for him to heal those things where we need his healing touch. Christ did not come to do away with suffering. He did not come to explain it. Christ came to fill it with his presence. 
and that provides the healing. The wonderful thing about Jesus is that he not only meets us in worship, but he goes home with us to shelter in place. Several years ago, I came across a song by Michael Kelly Blanchard. A little song is at the end of a larger song about a person who has great trauma. But at the end, there's this little song, Jesus the Lord of the Lonely Inside. It goes like this. There is no sorrow that he cannot heal. There is no sorrow that he did not feel. Moment by moment, he's there by your side, tenderly holding you close as you cry. Jesus, the Lord of the lonely inside. Jesus, the Lord of all love, crucified.